everyone, and welcome to the Mind Your Business Northern Kentucky podcast. I'm Ken Hornbeck, the business beat reporter here at Link NKY. I'm joined alongside Lacey Starling, the CEO of Link NKY. As always, Lacey, how are you doing today? I am excellent, Kenton, and I am really looking forward to our conversation. We're going to be talking about the opening of the new North by Hotel Covington and some of the history behind the Salyers Group and what they've done for Covington. And then later I'll be talking to Nancy Grayson, the president and CEO of the Horizon Community Funds of Northern Kentucky, about this wonderful culture of philanthropy that we have here in Northern Kentucky. So looking forward to today's conversation. And I have to say, when you, you know, before our podcast, we always talk, right? And figure out what we're going to talk about. This is, I know it seems like we're just freestyling here, but there actually is some planning that goes into it. Um, And so when you said that we were going to talk about Hotel Covington today, I was really excited because Donna Salyers, who is the founder of the Salyers Group, who owns Hotel Covington and other properties, is one of my favorite OG entrepreneurs in Covington. Her story is really cool and she's an inspiration to me and has been for many years in my journey. So let's talk a little bit about the present and then we can talk a little bit about the past. So what's going on over at North by Hotel Covington? So right now, I guess when this podcast goes up on Wednesday, this event would have passed, but for everyone listening on Tuesday, Prior to this podcast publication, there's going to be a grand opening uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony for Hotel Covington, North by Hotel Covington, I mean, and the knowledge bar that is going to be open inside of it. So that's going to be a really big deal in town. I'm going to that tomorrow at 2, I guess tomorrow when we're recording this now. But (laughs) I'm really excited to see it because, you know, we – Obviously, Link started right across the road. We were in the Madison Avenue office looking at this construction from its inception for this project, and I was able to cover it. In the past, I've written a few stories about North by Hotel Covington. I have uh, some family members that work there, and it's, it's fascinating because it really goes to show you how far the that area has come and hotel Covington when it opened at 2016 was a really important piece of that. And now this, I mean, walking through it, just when I had the chance to take one of the Covington business councils, hard hat tours, and I got to see like the bones of this construction project Mm -hmm. and the depth of it, I, I was fascinated and it really was something a little different for this area. When this opens up and people are able to, walk around and visit it or whatever, you're going to see it's pretty impressive. So that event's going to happen on Tuesday. We're going to have coverage of all of that, obviously, but it's a really big deal for the city and the region. And I think this hotel has been a good example, Lacey, of the Northern Kentucky Cincinnati equation. And I Mm -hmm. think this is kind of a beacon on our side of the river. Yeah, absolutely. It is such a cool building. I attended an event there. The Covington Business Council's annual dinner was one of the very first events that they had in their event space, which is um, down the lower level. And the building that they've renovated is the former YMCA. So there's a swimming pool in the basement and they actually put some glass in the floor where you can look down and see the old pool. And it's just, it's cool to hear people's stories about, hey, that's where I learned how to swim or, you know, that's that's where I, I went after school. And Hotel Covington itself being a luxury hotel property in Covington, I think a lot of people thought, 
that was a big swing. But the Salyers group has been taking big swings. So I want to rewind it to the 80s a little bit. So long mm-hmm. before you were born, Kenton, um, <laughs> in that mythic time <laughs> when, when I was a kid, um, Donna Salyers started off here in Northern Kentucky as a, as a sewing columnist for one of the papers. And she wrote a column about sewing every week and then eventually had a cable access program where she would fly to New York and she would record, um, you know, weekly television programs teaching people how to sew. And she tells this great story that one time she was in New York and she, it was the middle of winter, freezing cold. She saw all these beautiful women in these beautiful fur coats and she was so jealous, but she didn't want to, she didn't want anything to do with real fur, right? She didn't, she didn't love it. Didn't think that it was great. I can agree with that. And so she thought, how can I make myself a fur coat. So she started Donna Salyer's Fabulous Furs as a sewing kit company. So people would buy these kits and they would sew their own faux fur coats. And eventually people like me, who doesn't sew, reached out to Donna and was like, you know, I really love your coat, but I don't know how to sew. And so that was the start of the Fabulous Furs. And her furs, her, you know, her faux furs have been featured on shows like Only Murders in the Building and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Oprah's had them on her favorite things list. So, I mean, this big deal, right? Mm -hmm. So then Donna and her husband, they were in Covington and they had a, a real vision. And this is, this is in that time period that you and I have talked about, Kenton, when all of the businesses, the retail, left Covington and headed out to the Burbs, right? So downtown Covington was just a shell of what it had been before, and they had all these old department stores that were now empty. The Woolworths building was empty. So Salyers Group bought the Woolworths building and turned it into the Madison Event Center. And so there's Donna Salyers' Fabulous Bridal, there's the Madison Event Center, and then in 2016, Hotel Covington, and now North by Hotel Covington. So this whole renaissance in Covington was really started by them, which is really cool. Yeah, I I do think that's fascinating. And when we look at Covington, that area, you know, my dad, he was one of those people who grew up in Covington, utilized the YMCA to swim or do whatever, play basketball. Climb a rope. Sure. What what did they do? I don't know. (laughs) What what did they do at the YMCA? But, you know, my grandmother, she would um, take her family shopping down there, buy mm-hmm. clothes or whatnot at these department stores down along Madison Avenue. And when that went away, because the Florence Mall was built, like you said, all of that was gone. So to see this all flip on its head and now people return to the inner city here, the urban core of Covington, Newport, all the all these cities are really having their own version of this. Mm-hmm. I think it's really speaks to the trends of just the real estate development development community, kind of the architecture and the revitalization um, waves we've been seeing throughout the past 10 years. And for everybody out there, um, I just want to give you some stats on this project. Obviously, it's at 638 Madison Avenue in Covington. The building was 72,000 square feet, it, and it had been vacant since 2015. Oh, wow. So Hotel Covington, where it stands now, that opened in 2016, but the building right next to it, where North is going into, that was completely vacant. So it's going to offer 53 suites and lofts. It's going to enhance the the whole Hotel Covington presence on that specific block. And it's going to be able to accommodate a variety of different 
level of guests. It's going to be able to hold the ballroom actually is going to be able to hold up to 500 guests. Mm -hmm. We've seen pictures of that bar, knowledge bar and social room. If anybody wants to see those, go on linknky.com and check those out. I think it's going to be it it really doesn't feel like you're thinking like this is in Covington, but like it is. And that that's kind of the way I felt looking at it. And I'm sure I'm going to feel this way when I tour it tomorrow, but I'm like, oh my gosh. But you really do see the effort behind um, the Sawyers group here and the willingness of Covington to, you know, try new things and make that city, you know, a new destination, remake what Covington is and why people go there. And this is just another symbol of that mentality that the city has now had. So I, I think I'm very excited to see what it looks like inside. Um, and w- like you were saying, Lacey, these, these trends that we're seeing now, um, you know, Florence mall is kind of a shell of its former self mm-hmm. as people shop more online, and people want meaningful brick and mortar experiences. They don't want to yeah. just go to a store anymore. If you have a physical location, you have to make it worthwhile for people to go and visit your store, your restaurant, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing down in Covington, you know. And it's surrounded by, you know, bars and restaurants like The Well and Braxton. We see all of those sure. right across the street from the Madison Event Center. That's another one. So all of that being one big nice district, I, I think is really fascinating. Yeah, it, it's it's the thing. So my, um, my sister-in-law lives in uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, which is outside Chattanooga. And, you know, when you think about bringing family and she grew up on the west side of Cincinnati. And so when we told her, my husband and I, that we were moving to Covington, they were like, <gasps> Covington. And I'm like, okay, it's 2019. Covington's fine. Like, <laughs> you know, cool your jets. But, um, when we bring folks here, it really does create a destination district, right? So we talked about Newport on the Levee last week and what a destination district that has become. And Madison Avenue district in Covington is really the same way. So it's wonderful for folks who are coming here for weddings. You know, if you're having your wet, your wedding at the Madison, your guests can stay at Hotel Covington. There's plenty of options uh, for people to entertain themselves. Um, there are that's where all the celebrities stay when they come to perform. Uh, there was a, a fun story. I was touring North months and months ago before it was even close to ready and uh, you know, telling us the story of when Zach Efron was staying there and uh, somebody leaked it to all the fangirls and all the fangirls showed up and they were in the lobby screaming about Zach Efron. He immediately left and <laughs> went to stay in an Airbnb somewhere, but you know, it's, it's that kind of place, right? It's that nice. And I think that when folks think about Northern Kentucky, maybe they don't think about, uh, us having that kind of facility. So let's talk about knowledge bar. So let me guess, this is a bourbon bar. Is that, is that what we're doing with knowledge? Is it, uh, is it that, or is it, is there a different theme that I, I haven't caught on to yet? Well, I think knowledge, <clears throat> excuse me, knowledge is, um, I would say primarily a bourbon bar, but it's a bar where you can get other things as well. Um, <laughs> and just, it's hard to even describe this because what I might say really won't give it justice because when I was looking at the pictures of it on um, I, through some images I was given, I was like, wow, like this really, again, to reiterate to everybody out there is it's like, this is in Covington? Like truly, you wouldn't, 
think that. And now, you know, these types of bars and businesses and whatnot are coming to the city. It's becoming more of a norm. So the shock factor is going to hopefully decrease over time. (laughs) But yeah, I think this is a place that I would like to throw on a suit and I don't know, (laughs) you know, throw on a suit, probably can't smoke a cigar inside. Mm -hmm. Um, Not in Covington. But (laughs) not in Covington, but it's that kind of feel. It's that kind of, um, that kind of vibe. So this, yeah. um, I'm looking at pictures right now. I just pulled up some of the pictures that we had and it has this, <laughs> yeah. this beautiful wooden tray ceiling that just is mind blowing and these gorgeous chairs. And it's just, it's very swanky, right? And that's what you want. Sometimes you want to be able to go out and be swanky and there's going to be some other stuff in North that isn't quite ready yet. I know that they're planning another restaurant and I know that revival, bottle shop, which is just a, sort of around the corner in the Madison district, they're going to be opening up in the North by hotel Covington space as well, a little bit later this year. So, I mean, it's going to be this whole experience that you can do. Yes. I definitely want to put on, I'll, I want to put on a suit and go and sit in this place. It's just sort of very cozy speakeasy space, but I mean, that's yeah. really what hotel Covington does beautifully, right? They, they create these mm-hmm. spaces, whether it's Coppins or their event spaces, they just, I was talking to um, the architects who did this and they have this uh, walkway right on the second floor that goes from the yes. original hotel Covington into the North building. And they, it's a glass walkway. It's really cool. It goes over sort of the Coppins outdoor dining space. And we were just talking about the investment that they made in it because it was really expensive to put this second floor walkway in. But, you know, as they were talking about developing this space, they said, well, you can't have your hotel guests check in and then walk outside on the sidewalk to get to the other part of the hotel. Because I don't know if you're aware of this, Kenton, but our weather's not always great here. <laughs> so you can imagine checking in at the hotel and it, like it's sleeting outside and they say, well, you got to go outside to haul your suitcases up. So they put in this really, really cool glass and it's actually an event space too. So you can actually have a little event overlooking Madison Avenue, the former Lincoln KY offices, which I will tell you, it's, it's a fabulous view and mm-hmm. uh, be part of that. But I do, I just think this is, um, it's really fascinating. We were talking about this, the pendulum swing, right? Of mm-hmm. Covington was the place. It had all the shopping. It was where all the fancy stuff happened. And then pendulum swung to the suburbs. Everybody wanted to go to Kenwood or Florence or Rookwood or Crestview Hills to do all of their shopping. And now the pendulum has swung back again to your point. Shopping now, if we're going to go to a store, it's a destination thing, Right. We're going to go to Peachy and Vintage. We're going to go to Pink Moon. We're going to go to Soul by Style. We're going to get a drink and a bite. We're going to check Mm -hmm. out the scene. So it's a very different experience now that people are looking for rather than let's go to the four big box stores at the mall and buy our school clothes, right? Yeah, it's less like corporate. Um, If you want to shop now, it's less corporate. You want to see the personality behind Mm -hmm. the entrepreneur who runs the store, that all the effort that they put in, um, you want to be able to visualize that when you walk through their space and you want to be able to take your own two feet and go in there and support them rather than, you know, just going to the Foot Locker in the Florence Mall <laughs> and you're like, here's my money, Foot Locker corporate, you know, and nothing against, nothing against any of that, but like why, 
you could just go online and mm-hmm. buy it right from Nike. You know, you could still go to Foot Locker or, and not to pick on Foot Locker. I just, that was the one on off the top of my head. But like, <laughs> does Foot Locker even not, still exist? I don't even know. It, it does. And, okay. and I know I, I, I still kind of go there sometimes. So I'm not like dogging <laughs> that part. But, you know, like there's no reason to do that as much anymore. Right. And you, if you were going to, like you said, if we're going to go to a store, you want to be able to support that entrepreneur and their project and everything like that. And you have to make it worthwhile. And for many people making it worthwhile is going to their actual location down in these towns. And you can have a cool storefront now. Yeah. You can have that just like you had in the 50s, 60s and 70s. -hmm. And when all those spaces were hollowed out and everybody was going out to the mall, you know, it was under the mall's restrictions and what what you could and couldn't display and, you know, and so on and so forth. So it it really is fascinating to see, like we were talking about the pendulum swing. And I, I think it's for the best I, or for the better, in my opinion, not to completely editorialize, but when you see, you know, when you see small business owners have a tangible impact on the town and the or the city surrounding it. I, I think that's a overwhelmingly good thing supporting small creators. And when you see that come to fruition where you work, it's always great. They, you know, there's plenty of Florences out there. There's plenty of Kenwoods or whatever. Those there's going to be less of them, but they still will exist. You're still going to have to go to the Apple mm-hmm. Store and Kenwood Mall mm-hmm. or whatever. But we the there's only one like you're saying peachy and vintage and. Mm-hmm. That for many people is worth driving to town and getting out and going and visit that storefront, maybe getting a drink at North um, North's Knowledge Bar. So I, I, I think it's really cool. And I, I'm glad to see Covington, Newport, a lot of other communities do stuff like this. Dayton as well. They've been doing a lot of it. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, sort of to, to sum it up, it's exciting when – disused buildings see new life, right? We have these Mm -hmm. beautiful architecturally sound buildings that needed a new life. And so it's wonderful to see it happen. And I think in another 15 years, uh, we're going to be talking about the revitalization of shopping malls because they're out there. They're these giant spaces. They've, they've, We have to find some kind of use for them. And I don't know what that is. I think there's some interesting experiments happening around the country with shopping malls to revitalize them into different spaces, whether it's schools or offices or re-greening them or, you know, whatever. And so I think that's going to be a really interesting story to follow. That's the next wave of revitalization that we're going to look at. But to, to put a pin in this one, I guess I would just say I encourage everyone to come to the Madison district in Covington and check it out and see what Covington's all about now. And if you haven't been down to Covington in a while, I think it would be uh, a shock. And if you have been, you know what, it's awesome and it's a wonderful place to come visit, but definitely looking forward to that grand opening that in our time travel that we're doing here will have happened yesterday when the pod drops. But for those of us in this, in this timeline will happen tomorrow. So Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear what bar we talk about next week. 
That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> We're probably like four weeks running on, on some bars. kind of alcohol adjacent <laughs> conversation. It's so. springtime. That's when everybody likes to get out and, and drink. We've talked about this. So, all right. Well, Kenton, yeah. thank you so much uh, for your coverage of that. Can't wait to see uh, a little bit more coverage coming this week. And um, we'll be back after the break with our conversation with Nancy Grayson. But I will talk to you next week, Kenton. Thanks, Lacey. Payroll Partners, Northern Kentucky's leading provider of payroll and HR technology services, offers a personalized little guy customer service model paired with UKG's HCM technology. It's the best of both worlds. Locally owned and headquartered in Fort Wright, Payroll Partners serves every client with accessible and personal customer service, whether you have one employee, hundreds, or even thousands. Business partners, CFOs, and HR pros don't have time for hold times and hotlines. You need a partner, and it's Payroll Partners. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited today to talk to Nancy Grayson, who is the president and CEO of Horizon Community Funds of Northern Kentucky and one of the board members of the managing board here at Link NKY. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nancy. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Great. Well, I want to start at the very beginning. So tell me, what is Horizon Community Funds of Northern Kentucky? We are a community foundation, which can be seen as a bit of a niche institution, but at our most basic level, we are a public charity. We are a 501c3 organization designated by the IRS. We're also nationally accredited, which I'm very proud of, and we can talk about that later too. Um, But we are an entity that raises dollars, charitable dollars, from a wide variety of sources across the community to help meet the needs of our community, both now and in the future. So we're not a bank. (laughs) We are a public charity, but our funds are invested to help grow over time. So this is really a way for a community member, wherever they are, to feel like they can plug in and to be something uh, larger than what they would do on a regular basis. So their $5 can be amplified in partnership with others, which is why it's really exciting to see where the community needs are and how I help to plug community members in through our role as a community foundation. Great. So how long has Horizon been in existence? We launched in 2017. So we're, we're emerging into our sixth year. It's very exciting. We've seen a lot of growth in those initial stages. I've had the, the great privilege and honor to serve as the president and CEO since our inception. So we've built it together from the ground up. We have uh, two other team members who are just superhuman, amazing team members who are really helping us to continue to grow our foundation. And we have a board of 20 incredibly uh, just committed and longstanding Northern Kentucky members and leaders who are really dedicated to making sure that we we keep that North Star of supporting Northern Kentucky uh, as our, our driving mission. So tell me a little bit about, I'm always interested in origin, origin stories, right? So tell me a little bit about how Horizon came to be. What happened that prompted the formation and, and the launch? Mid, I'd say 2015, 2016, there had been some conversations among a group of community leaders who were talking about 
Northern Kentucky and our own unique personality that we have. We're part of Kentucky, we're part of Cincinnati, and sometimes we see ourselves as, as being uniquely Northern Kentucky and neither and both at the same time. So, Knowing that we have 400,000 people in our three-county footprint, the metro, northern Kentucky of Boone, Kenton, and Campbell counties, looking at the needs that we had that were emerging over time, those leaders were saying, we just don't have the, the charitable support that we really need to help make a difference, to make an impact, to find some um, innovative solutions to the work that, that we're trying to tackle. And uh, despite the river being a river, sometimes it's seen as an ocean, and we have a lot of uh, strong partner organizations that provide charitable dollars uh, to Northern Kentucky. But when we're 22% of the metropolitan statistical area for greater Cincinnati, and we're seeing in the single digits in terms of charitable support coming into our Northern Kentucky community, we, we could be doing more. And so um, our founders decided that it was time to do something shoulder to shoulder that we can step up and we can really have our eye on those local, hyper-local needs in our communities, our neighborhoods. And uh, therefore, the best vehicle for us was to create a community foundation and Horizon Community Funds was launched. It's, it's amazing to me to think that, because my first job when I moved to Cincinnati was with yes. United Way. And so United Way of Greater Cincinnati large organization, lots of money raised. And, you know, there was a Northern Kentucky office, but it was significantly smaller than the Cincinnati office. And uh, honestly, I didn't, I didn't know a lot about what was going on down there. And I don't think if you had asked me at that point, I wouldn't have thought that Northern Kentucky was that significant a portion of the Metro. And I think a lot of people have that perspective that they don't understand how significant Northern Kentucky is in the Metro and that is the fastest growing part of the greater Cincinnati Metro too, which is, is also very interesting. Um, so you are a community foundation, but you have lots of funds within the foundation. So talk a little bit about what that structure looks like. Cause I think that part might be something that, you know, maybe people haven't seen before or maybe don't understand. I think this is why it can become a little bit confusing. The easiest way to take a step back and see the structure of a community foundation is to think of us as a family of funds. So we have 150 plus funds that we currently manage and own, but they have different um, efforts or organizations or areas of interest that they're supporting. And that can range from unrestricted dollars. So think of that as maybe a uh, kind of reserve or an endowment for Northern Kentucky. And there are public grant making opportunities. And we call that particular fund our community impact fund. There are funds that are focused on a particular field of interest, which could be a focus area like the pandemic, where multiple organizations can receive uh, support from that as long as they're, they're meeting that kind of focus area. We did, I would like to note, raise $2.1 for pandemic-related needs, and we've helped over 85,000 Northern Kentuckians through that fund. I'm, I'm very proud that we had such a collaborative effort and that the community stepped up there. So that's an example of that type of fund. A lot of our funds are donor advised funds. And for those of you who don't know what those are, it's kind of like a charitable checking account of sorts. Uh, you make the, the gift up front, cash, stock, whatever type of asset you want to give. And then it's invested and you recommend where those grants go. And they can be anywhere, not just in Northern Kentucky. Uh, but my goal is to make sure that we try to encourage those donor advised fund holders to give more to Northern Kentucky needs. 
And then we also have uh, designated or agency funds. And we have a lot of growth in that area too, where we're partnering with a particular nonprofit, a school, a church even, a hospital to help uh, with their needs. And so we uh, legally own and manage the funds, but it's for that particular organization. Uh, so we have multiple groups that partner with us in that capacity. We're not just a grant maker then, then we're able to be a partner in, in giving and a fiduciary for their invested funds as well. So it's it's been a great way to help support a lot of our even smaller nonprofit organizations. Uh, there's a tax credit that helps to benefit any gifts into those funds that are endowed. So lots of opportunities for people to connect with us. Um, and that's why I think when you take a look at our website and you see all of these different funds that we uh, have, those will continue to grow over time. And it's our role to help amplify some of those stories so that people are aware if we're that hub of giving, they can come to us and we can help connect them uh, to where their passion is. And so we'll talk a little bit, I think, about the relationship that Horizon and Link has, because I think that's a, a really great way to, to talk about it. Um, you're our fiscal yes. sponsor, and this is really fantastic because Link is a for-profit organization. We are an LLC. Uh, I, the joke is that we're actually a for-break-even <laughs> because uh, we're not <laughs> we're not trying to to turn a big profit or return uh, profit to shareholders. But we are in that you know for-profit business side. But we wanted to offer folks a way that they could use their charitable dollars to support very specific pieces of the work that we're doing. And that's when we turn to Horizon and, and you, Nancy, to say, okay, can we set up a fund underneath Horizon's umbrella and you all can receive payments, process those, you know, make sure that we're meeting all of the IRS regulations, which is scary for anybody <laughs> who has an organization and they have to meet these requirements, you know, uh, all of that. And so I'd love it if you would just talk a little bit about that. Cause I know we're not the only ones. We are certainly not the only organization in Northern Kentucky that has a fiscal sponsorship relationship with horizon. So can you talk us through maybe more coherently <laughs> than I did how that looks? Happy to help. A lot of people, um, you know, when they hear fiscal sponsorship or fiscal agency, and those are two different things by the way, but a fiscal sponsor is when a nonprofit, a public charity, says that they will accept donations on behalf of an effort, another entity, but using their own 501c3 charitable status. So that means when they enter into this agreement, they are legally responsible for the donations that are made and making sure that the money is being used for charitable purposes. The most common uh, time people would see something like this happen would typically be when a nonprofit is trying to establish itself as its own 501c3. And there's a little bit of gap time where they need to raise some money to help their uh, work that they're doing before they get that status. The IRS takes some time in approving those uh, applications. So we uh, often are asked to serve in that role and often we'll, we'll do that. The other way that we can serve as a fiscal sponsor, still putting our 501c3 out and being legally responsible for any donations that are made are for efforts that um, are not going through a particular charitable entity. So this would be an example of uh, Link Media, where there are aspects of your work that are certainly very charitable, but then there are aspects that are not. So we are that vehicle, that fund partner that allows people to make charitable gifts to support public interest journalism through uh, Link Media LLC. 
And this is not um, a new, it is an emerging area, but it's not completely new. Seattle is is probably the area uh, up in Washington in the Northwest um, with having this model and it's been studied widely and other community foundations are starting to uh, mirror what they've done and, and truly what we're doing too, which is allowing public interest journalism to have different types of support depending on how people are able uh, and willing to do that uh, financially. So it can be through subscriptions for the for-profit side, or it can be through charitable donations through our fund that we have that benefits that public interest journalism. And we take that very seriously in making sure that we're we're accounting for each of those dollars being used uh, in a charitable way. Absolutely. And, and I will speak from our own experience of just, you know, how precise that we need to be when we're using those dollars and making sure that we're keeping track of good records and that we're not paying for, you know, rent or overheads or coffee in the break room, but that it is truly going to pay the salaries of the reporters who are reporting on public interest you know, issues. So government reporting, you know, reporting on our city and local governments, education, things like that. So I think there's, there's a certain level of intimidation, I think, that comes when you start talking about funds and donor advised funds. And, you know, the average person out there, myself included, when we think about this, we want to be charitable, we want to make donations, but there's a couple of obstacles. Number one, are the organizations that we're giving to good organizations, right? How do I vet that? How do I understand if a fund or an organization that I'm giving money to, there have been, there have been turmoil and scandals in the past about nonprofit organizations, people who have their own 501c3 who, who misappropriate or misuse the funds. So there's, I think there's hesitation sometimes for people like, how do I know who to donate to? And the other thing is, do I have enough money to make a difference, right? Does, does whatever I'm giving make a difference to an organization? And so I think those two things can be obstacles to folks engaging with charitable giving um, locally. And, and so what would you say to somebody who, who comes to you and says, you know, Nancy, I really want to give more, but I don't know, I don't know how to go mm-hmm. about doing that. And that's my favorite conversation to have with someone who is uh, inclined to want to give support, but who isn't sure where to get started. I'm proud to report that um, we've raised $55 million plus in these first five years, which is an incredible amount of money. But I know when people hear that, they think, well, how, how could my $10, $20 make a difference with that? of our donations are actually $100 or less. So you're seeing people giving in in different ways to different funds in smaller amounts. And that's the idea is to have a vehicle that will allow people to give what they can and to give to things that they care about in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been able to do before Horizon was was launched. And so I'm very proud that we are that vehicle now. Um, So of course, we're welcome. We welcome any calls or emails and outreach to find out how do we help plug those individuals into different causes they might care about. But if they want to learn how what we do happens on a very kind of grassroots level, we have two groups that are giving circles where people give a um, hundred dollars each quarter. 
or $410 uh, for the year. They end up being about the same. They're two different circles. One is the 410, which are the first three digits of our uh, zip code here in Northern Kentucky. And the other is Give Where You Live Northern Kentucky, which is a kind of speed philanthropy giving circle. It's pretty fun. They make decisions on where money goes uh, within an hour and through uh, just the group talking about some nonprofits that they care about. It's It's been eye-opening to see who applies for the 410 and what names are put into the hat for the Give Where You Live giving circles. These groups are coming together, they're bringing their $100, and they are actively having conversations and learning more about things that maybe they weren't aware of before. And then they get to vote to put their money uh, towards whoever the top vote-getter is in that one of those groups. And so that's a very low, I think, uh, barrier way for folks to get plugged in and to do it in a kind of a social setting where they know that uh, the folks in the room with them who are giving to that particular effort are, are also like-minded and, and want to give back. Um, those are for Northern Kentucky serving groups. And so really you're, you're seeing where the money is going because it's, it's happening in our own backyard. Um, but again, I, I do think the idea is really to, to find ways for folks to feel like you know, their $5 is or hundred dollars or $500 or however much it might be it's going to be leveraged and it's going to be magnified because others are giving to that same cause too. And so you're making your dollar stretch a little further because you're doing it with a group of people who, who care about the same things. That is, I just, you know, that's the headline for me. I'm listening to this and I'm, I'm hearing 68% of donations are hundred dollars less. And I mean, we see it, we see it at link, right? The monthly donations that we have from folks who are so generous and who have said that they want to support our journalism, you know, it's five, 10, 20 bucks, you know, either a month or a quarter and all of it adds up. And that is, it's significant and it's meaningful for us to have support in that way. And I know it's significant and meaningful for other charitable organizations to have that too. So it's really cool to hear about giving circles and to, to feel as though you're not just firing off a check, you know, to some remote organization that you haven't had any conversation with or, you know, that, that you have no connection to. So, I mean, keeping it in your own backyard, I think is, is very compelling. And also knowing that these organizations that you're giving to have to go through the process of vetting that Horizon puts them through of the audits that they have to do on a regular basis to make sure that the money is going where they say it's going. All of that builds confidence, I think, in, you know, where your charitable dollars are going and that they're going to good organizations that, uh, you know, are valuable to your own community and, and part of that. So Nancy, as we, as we wrap up here, if somebody wants to engage, somebody wants to get involved what are, what are the easiest ways? Where do they go? Who do they call? What website do they go to in order to engage with The Horizon? easiest way is to go to our website, www.horizonfunds.org. That is plural. <laughs> As you have learned on this podcast, we are a family of funds. So uh, horizonfunds.org. It, uh, you can email, you can send a message through the website. It has all of our information listed if you want to give a phone call. Um, I think my mobile number is listed so you can text if you wish, but the, the best way is to see the scope of what we're doing on the website. Follow us on social media. Uh, we're active on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. We're uh, emerging in YouTube. We're starting to build our library out for some of the videos that we have. But I, I think for us, it's just finding different ways to get involved. 
We have uh, different events that we'll hold periodically. And so if you sign up for an e-newsletter, I promise we will not spam your inbox. I know we're all inundated. We only uh, send messages out once a month. And so just to hear what's happening in the community, also any trends in philanthropy uh, that are happening, we, we try to keep it current. I always like to have some type of uh, data or information that we're sharing. Um, and also we have print newsletters that we send information out quarterly as well. So it's important that we're hitting on all of these different levels, but we'd love to have you get involved either through a giving circle, attending one of our events, or just staying connected with us online so that they can uh, opt in when they're ready to do so for something that they, they get excited about. Well, great. And shameless plug, if you want to support Link NKY uh, through our fund, the Northern Kentucky Community Journalism Fund, uh, on our website, you can always hit the donate button and that takes you directly to the site where you can uh, make a donation to the Northern Kentucky Community Journalism Fund. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, Always a pleasure. So grateful for your involvement and Horizon's involvement with Link and helping us get launched and helping support our ongoing efforts here. And uh, just really thank you for your time. It's an honor and it's always fun to spend time with you, Lacey. Thanks so much for having me.